Love is in the air. Is it? Is it really? Or it's just like humidity. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson and Denise Robinson is back and we are in our final episode of this little mini series on heroes, villains, and love stories. And the only thing we have left to cover what are the best love stories in the Bible? Oh, this, you, which is a harder question than yeah, you Yeah, I was going to say, people probably are thinking, oh, yay. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, because when you actually start digging into the stories that you had always thought of as love stories, you kind of realize that there is a lot of ickiness in the Bible that reading it through 2023 eyes. Uh, can't call it love. Although I will say that any love story has messiness in it. And that's probably part of why it's compelling to us. Right. But not every love story has victimhood in it. No, that's true. And that's (laughs) That's a lot of the Bible love stories. That's true. Air quote love stories. There you go. Um, What is your favorite love story? Not just in the Bible, but like what is just your favorite love story and why? Well, I have a go-to movie that's my favorite, which is called Shall We Dance? And it's a favorite of me because it has a little bit of the messiness. It has dancing, obviously, and um, it has Richard Gere. And so (laughs) (laughs) all the elements of a good love story and a marriage that stays together even through messiness. Mm -hmm. So I like that. But my favorite love story of all time is the my parents love story. My parents have a beautiful love story and it just and it also is filled with messiness and and yet it's beautiful. And so it's it, it, just anytime I think of a love story, I think of their story. We could do an entire podcast on their story, which we're not going to do. But <laughs> <laughs> I what what about you? Yeah, I think so when I was younger, um I think that the love story I romanticized the most was the notebook. Like I loved that. And I think a lot of the elements of the notebook actually reminded me of grandmom and granddad. Um, Oh yeah. I forgot to tell y'all in case y'all don't know. Denise is my mom. So her mom and dad are my, (laughs) were my grandmom and granddad. It now makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I loved that story when, and it came out when I was in high school and it really struck me and I read the book and and all of that. And I absolutely loved it. I think as an adult, um, the love stories that I gravitate more toward are not romantic love. It is the long lasting friendship love that you just see between couples. And I, well, this isn't a romantic love story at all, but one of my favorite twists uh, was in the movie Frozen mm-hmm. when, um, you know, traditionally in Disney movies, it's always been love's true kiss, a love, a, an act of pure love that saves someone from a horrible fate. And Frozen turns that narrative on its head and said, it doesn't have to be romantic love. Uh, and the story ends with, it was the love between two sisters. And I remember 
remember even sitting in the theater for the first time, not having heard anything about it and going, it's sister love and having two daughters and watching the love y'all have for each other just really was emotional for me. Well, and it was always up until that point, it felt like the majority of the time, uh, the narrative was about a man swooping in to save a woman and just seeing two strong women working together and their love persevering. It was a beautiful love story. So I don't want to limit love stories to romantic love at all. We are going to talk about some romantic love stories, but we're going to talk about some friendships as well. What do you think makes love stories so compelling? Why is it that we just... There, there will never be enough love stories written. You won't ever say, okay, we've told enough love stories. You know, I, it's, I don't know the real reasons, but I, I mean, like the scientific, I'm sure they've done scientific studies and all of that on this because they do scientific studies for everything. But I honestly think that in some ways, um, day-to-day life is a little mundane and boring to a certain extent, like, you know, if you talk to somebody and say, so what you been doing? You can't think of a thing. But then the love stories, it's just like, ah, oh, this is something that, that we can. And I think it does something to our brains, too. I think it might it might create something in our brain, some chemical in our brains that, that feels good. I think there's also danger in love stories, too, because sometimes we idealize them and think that every relationship should be like a love story relationship and every relationship is unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned that the hard way through my divorce. Uh, and I, it was this, that I think it's because I had idealized what love was. And so I was seeing things in a person that weren't actually there because it's what society had told me to see in my significant other. And so I, uh, had this grand love story built up in my mind and you have these certain steps that you're supposed to get through of like you start dating and then you're official and then you get engaged and then you get married. And if you've been together for three years, four years, and you haven't moved forward in your relationship at all, then that's a problem. And so there were these certain steps that you were supposed to check off, which really surprised me that I fell into that because I've always considered myself to be such like a strong, independent woman. But it's really hard to break away from societal norms around love. Well, and I did the same same thing on a different level, um, on a lesser level, is, you know, I watched my parents who were hand holder, holders. They held each other's hand even when they were watching TV. They were always holding hands. And it was so sweet. And I grew up with that. And so when I started dating Chris, my husband, um, he never held my hand. And it really, I, at one point I started thinking, is this really, you know, does he really care about me? And I finally got the nerve to ask him. And he said, well, I'm 6'4 and you're 5'6. It hurts my back to hold your hand. And it had never entered my mind that there was another, that there was another alternative story. And so I let go, okay, our relationship doesn't have to look like anybody else's relationship. Well, okay. So those societal norms, I, I kind of want to segue into the Bible a little bit here yep. because I think that one of the things that's really difficult for us, and I already mentioned it a little bit, is reading the Bible through our modern day lens. And so something that at a different time would have been perceived as a beautiful love story because of the way society was structured and the way that women were treated and all of this stuff is like we see as 
man, like he's not even seeing her as a human, but. Well, and I actually think people read it in the lens of this is a beautiful love story. They have you think to, so? They have to delve into it and realize, wait a minute, because I've had too many Bible studies and conversations where I've actually said, have you ever thought about the woman didn't have a choice in this? Oh, no. I just thought it was lovely and wonderful and beautiful. And it's like, no. So what are some of those top of mind stories that like we often, before we dive into them, think of them as beautiful love stories. But then when you actually start to read it and use some critical thinking, you're like, wait a second, there's a lot of manipulation and evilness happening here. So two come to mind. One is the story of Jacob and Rachel, and one is the story of Esther, actually. Those are two that come to my mind that people perceive as a beautiful love story. And they're really, there's so many more layers that are in there. Jacob and Rachel is in um, the book of Genesis. And Jacob himself was a master of deceit and manipulation. And then he gets deceived and manipulated by uh, Rachel's husband. I mean, sorry, Rachel's father, Laban. And and it, when you read scripture, it says in three places, it says, and Jacob loved her. It never says that Rachel had, Rachel had a choice in the union. It never says that Rachel loved Tim. It, she didn't have a choice. She was property and Jacob loved her, mm-hmm. but, you know, and it's a twisty turny story that we probably won't go into now, but. Well, and there are a lot of stories like this, and I think Jacob is one of them, but I'd have to go back and reread it, where it talks about love at first sight. And for men, that normally means I was very attracted to her. And so I fell in love with her and what she thinks is irrelevant. (laughs) And so that's a lot of this thing is like we have this idea of, oh, it was love at first sight. Well, for the majority of women, it's never love at first sight. No, I mean, Jacob asked Laban, can I marry if I work for you for seven years, can I marry your daughter, Rachel? And the dad says, yes, he didn't turn And we say, oh, that's so romantic. He loved her. We forget that they never turned to Rachel and said, do you want to marry this guy Mm -hmm. that you don't know that, you know, ran away because someone's trying to murder him or, you know, I mean, they don't ask those questions. Hopefully in the seven years that he was working for her father, they got to know each other a little bit. Perhaps, but, but then Laban did a quick switch and who he actually married was her sister, her older sister. And he didn't know it until the marriage was consummated. So it's an interesting story. Yeah, I, I, and that bothers me too. It's like, we are like, oh my gosh, Jacob was deceived and poor Jacob and poor Rachel. And he had to work another seven years to get Rachel's hand. And, but poor Leah being the older sister married off to this guy, like she knows that, I mean, but like you said, who knows if Rachel actually had feelings for him or not. But my guess is that's not what she wanted to do. It was just part of like, you're supposed to marry off the oldest daughter first. It was, and, and I honestly, I honestly, I can't prove this, but I honestly believe that love wasn't in females vocabulary. then, except for the love for their children. But marriage was survival. Having children was survival because you were worth something if you bore children. And so I just felt like um, that we overlook that. I feel like people read it and they forget 
It was a different time. But even if there's not love involved with Leah, like imagine the feeling of rejection of he marries you, finds out that you're not who he thought he was and is immediately like, I don't want you. Oh, and by the way, he didn't shun her. He had children with her. Yeah. (laughs) Many. Yeah. (laughs) So it wasn't like she was in a corner. And then she had to stay in it, knowing that he didn't want to be with her. Like, what an awful feeling. Yeah. I mean, the sisters compete. It's really an interesting story. Is it a love story? Perhaps. One-sided? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, We, you know, it's just, it's, I just think people read it and they get to the part where it actually says, and the seven years went by so quickly because Jacob loved her. And the next seven years went by so quickly because of Jacob's love for her. And they go, ah, and they forget to look at the messiness that is around the story. Mm -hmm. Maybe we do that in real life too. Maybe we go, ah, and forget that there's messiness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you mentioned Esther too. So you think that, because Esther is one of the greatest love stories in the Bible, uh, according to a lot of people. What why what qualms do you have with Esther? So Esther was, you know, in today's language, we would say she was sex trafficked. Mm. She was um, part of a harem. She was trying out to be queen, and trying out to be queen meant more than just doing a beauty pageant. Yeah. <laughs> you you had one night with the king and if he decided, "Oh, this is the one," then, you know, then then so she was chosen to be queen. Yeah, that that elevated her to a a level of um privilege that she didn't have before, but all the time there's no choice in the matter. Um, and even her uncle. Well, and no doubt that the king did continue to keep his harem. Oh, and con- yeah. Concubines. Yeah, that harem didn't go away. Yeah. And and even in scripture, it says, you know, at one point she, without going into the whole story of Esther, at one point she needs to approach him and she hadn't been with him for a long time. So it wasn't this loving, caring mm-hmm mutual partnership. See, and that I think that people think of it of a love story because of the way the king reacts to her of like, it, it's seen as um, he's pouring love on her by listening to her, by taking her feelings into consideration, all of these things. More likely, I feel like it was probably to save face. He didn't want his queen to be, it would see. It would be seen as uh, a lack of power for his queen to be taken advantage of and for her people uh, to be diminished when he's the ruler, he can't even protect his own queen. Well, and, and he may have loved her, but it wasn't what we would think of a love story today. It wasn't a partnership. It wasn't a partnership. And that's, I mean, I think that's really important to me in a love story is that there's a partnership and mutuality. Yeah. And this was not, this was a king and someone who was called in every once in a while. Well, and that's another thing that bothers me about the book of Esther. I've been very vocal about that. So it's four chapters. It's named after Esther. You don't hear from Esther until chapter four. Yeah, I think it's more like seven chapters, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. Until the very end <laughs> yeah. is the point that I'm making. Yeah, yeah. she's in the middle of it. And then, Stop yeah. calling me out on my lack of Bible knowledge. 
<laughs> no, but yeah. it's at yeah. the very end. You don't hear her speak. You don't hear anything no. from her. It's all men making decisions about her life. And but the whole book is called Esther. And it's like, I think the whole book should be called Mordecai. Yeah. Because Mordecai is the one moving all of the pieces. Yeah. Mordecai is her uncle. And he's actually when the, the one that says you need to do the beauty pageant. Yeah. To become a member of the harem. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated than we read because it's a great literary story Mm -hmm. and it's fun to read. I will tell you it is fun to read. But when you read it, I think most people don't dig deep enough into the Bible stories to realize, oh, something there's more going on here and there's some icky stuff. Well, I kind of feel that way about... Song of Solomon as well, yeah. because that's one that we constantly turn to of like, oh my gosh, it's such beautiful love poetry. And it's very like, it's a scandalous book that a lot of churches don't cover because it's very sexual in nature. There's a lot of intimacy and, and turned into poetry and all of this. But when you know anything about King Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Absolutely. We have absolutely no idea how many different women this poetry is about and how. And we don't even know. I mean, it's even confusing when there's so many different interpretations of it on what the love is, because some of the, the love story may be one of his conquests who's in love with someone else. The love story may be her and someone else, or it may be Solomon. We just don't know. And and everybody interprets it the way they want to interpret it. Yeah. And if you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, like how much intimacy can there really be? Like how much love can there really be? I, and many of those, many of those wives and, and remember this, when we think about those times, many of those wives were wives for political reasons only. If I marry this princess from this country, that'll make us have better ties. And we never spend any time in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many, so many complexities that we just think of it as, oh, so pretty. And people, like I said, in Song of Solomon, go read it. It it can, it's pretty steamy, but at the same time, um, people will take, pull a verse out and say, oh, this says never have premarital sex. Oh, this says love is beautiful. And and mutually it, and so you can't, you know, it's one of it's those books that, um, it is not necessarily a teaching book. It is poetry. It yeah, is it's prose. Absolutely. Personal. And we're getting a glimpse into someone else's inner thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, do you know why that's in the Bible? Like why that was included? I did. You didn't give me notes to research that. Sorry. And I'm just curious now. I have researched it in the past, but at this particular moment, it is not coming back It just seems like me. an odd book to yeah. throw in the mix. So yeah. I'll let y'all research that in your own yeah. time. Get back to us. Tell yeah. us what, tell us what the all-knowing Google tells us about that. Okay. And so so the last one I want to bring up, and then I promise we're going to talk about like real, love, real stories. love stories from the Bible, things that we think are more genuine. Um, I think that people are starting to wake up to this one, but David and Bathsheba. Yeah. I This one fascinates me. This one absolutely fascinates me because 
I think what has happened over time, and I remember being taught this too, what happens over time is David is such a hero and he's listed in scripture as a man after God's own heart. And so people want to make him good in every aspect. Mm -hmm. The story of David and Bathsheba is despicable on David's part. And, And he claims that it is. So I remember being taught at one point, I remember this as a teenager being told, yeah, but Bathsheba wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't what doing was things she, she was supposed was she to be doing, doing bathing on the roof she was a yeah. temptress she was yeah. drawing in and trying to seduce david and, and he fell victim to her charm yeah and it's all about power first of all um david he was saw already her. king at this he, point, yeah right? he was already king mm-hmm. and he was wandering on his roof which overlooked the entire city. And so he was looking down. And so he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing in her courtyard. Now, first of all, here's what you need to know. We he was think, a peeping Tom. <laughs> well, we think of bathing, we think of bathing as what we think of now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it really was, was because it tells us later that it was ritual cleansing, which means she wasn't even disrobed. More than likely, it was like a religious ceremony. It was, yeah, she, which you had to do at the end of your menstrual cycle, and so she was cleaning herself, and it wouldn't have been this um, hot tub. Yeah. Experience or this sultry sticking her beautiful toe in. Or like the Tahitian woman under the waterfall sort of thing. But guess what? If you watch any movies about David and Bathsheba, that's what they Mm -hmm. show. They show this sexy Bathsheba and it probably wasn't that at all because that wasn't what ritual cleansing was. And it's very clear to us that it was ritual cleansing. So David looks down at Caesar and then he sends somebody to find out who she is. They come back and tell him and guess what he finds out? She's the wife of one of his well-respected soldiers. He doesn't stop there. Then he sends messengers to bring her to him. Now, her husband is off fighting his battle. And so he, so he has, he didn't even go meet her himself, but he knows she's married. So he already knows what he's doing is wrong. And talk about power dynamics. Power. Because he is the king. She can't say no. Well, and here's what he does. He sends messengers and says, the king has summoned you. What do you think went through Bathsheba's mind? My husband has died Mm -hmm. on the battlefield. The king has summoned me. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that a natural? Nobody thinks that. But I feel like having grown up in a military community, and every time we saw a car pull up in front of some, you know, an official car pull up in somebody's house, we all lost our breath a little. That's exactly what she would have thought. Oh, my gosh, my husband has died. And she summons him. He summons her. And it is power play after power play after power play. And she has no choice in the matter. And people will argue, oh, she could have said no. How? And be killed. Yeah. How? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so it is. And then it be- goes even more despicable from there. And, you know, he, he ends up manipulating and having Uriah, her husband, killed. And she becomes, because she becomes pregnant, he wants to try to make it like it's Uriah's kid. kid and it's just, it goes there. And then what happens at the end, people say, oh, well, they got married. Okay, was that her choice? Because what it actually says is when the mourning period was over, he brought her home to be his wife. Did she have a choice in that? No, she was pregnant. He was trying to save face. Mm. 
And they lost the baby, which is another part of the story. But then she does have a baby later, which is King Solomon. And he follows his daddy example on how he treats women. Family tradition. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, again, I think it's, it's a story of, of power, manipulation, and not recognizing that the woman's voice was not important or heard at that time. Mm. It's also a story of how we change the narrative to make it look like somebody is more innocent than they really are. Yeah. And doesn't that happen today? Yeah. Don't women fall victimization to that even today? more times than we can air care to even what were you wearing yeah you know like how did you look at him yeah you know i mean it's just it's so why were you why were you out that late at night i mean yeah yeah, it's and then in the story she has solomon and then the story we never hear from bathsheba again until david's deathbed when she says i want you to make solomon king even though he's not your (laughs) oldest son so she's like i've done everything that you've told me to like make him king uh, yeah so basically there's no love there we don't see a relationship no and we want to make it like okay first of all it was her fault so there had to be love and you know it's just to me, that one's a big one. Okay. A big one. So so in summary with these stories, what we're saying is please don't think of these as love stories anymore. Like, right. Think of these as political power moves, manipulation. I mean, with Bathsheba, we're even saying that was rape. This was Absolutely. there's rape. There's sex trafficking. There's all of these things. This is, these are not love stories, right? Um, so so we've gotten those out yeah, of the way. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Oh my gosh, it's so difficult because those are just a few of the major ones that we know, like that we talk about often or we hear about often. But there are plenty of other examples because I was trying. It took me a long time to find love stories that I was like, no, this one feels good. This one feels real because every single one, Samson and Delilah, like all of these different things, there's some sort of manipulation Mm -hmm. having even Adam and Eve. I wanted, I wanted them to be a good example of love. And I was like, well, they only had each other. Yeah. like (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. And there's argument for Abraham and Sarah having a mutual relationship. She has a voice, but at the same time, you still have to put it. And it doesn't read like a love story because there's messiness in there. Right. And the, and that's the thing is like uh, trying to find relationships that are specifically structured as a love story. Abraham and Sarah, very possible they were in love, but it wasn't really structured as a love story. It was more of like, hey, historically, here's what happened. Right. And it's they are married and here's their life together. And there are plenty of stories like that, that maybe they are beautiful love stories. Maybe Elizabeth and Zachariah are a beautiful love story, but we don't know enough and it's not structured in in a way that the Bible is telling us, look at this love story. Yeah, it's not written in that kind of a narrative. Yeah. And because basically that wasn't the point they wanted to get across. Right. And so that's, we have to remember that. What was, why was this story written? It doesn't give us all the facts we need, but what was the point? So there were a few that we found. Yeah, let's let's talk about, <laughs> I didn't find very many. You Maybe you found different ones than I do, but do you have any stories that, you read through and you're like, you know what? This feels like genuine love. I felt like this, the book of Ruth 
has a lot of love stories in it, um, more than one. So the book of Ruth starts out with um, Ruth losing her husband and her mother-in-law, Naomi, who had also lost her husband. And of course, this was her son that she lost. Um wants to move back to her hometown. And she says, Ruth, you stay here and get remarried. And Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. Oh my goodness. Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law loving and caring for each other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's unheard of even today. Well, then, based on <laughs> what you were saying is like looking at the structure of marriage at the time, marriage was not about love. Marriage was about survival. And so Ruth was basically um, pushing away her own security and protection to be with this woman that she loves. Yeah. And then Naomi did everything in her power to make sure Ruth was also taken care of, even suggesting that she go to a certain field to glean it to get them food and, you know, all kinds of things. And then along comes Boaz, who is the person that owns the field, and he notices Ruth. And what he does is he makes sure she's provided for. Now, it doesn't give us this, and then they saw each other, and mm-hmm. and it doesn't give us that. But there is this care and genuineness, even to the point where Boaz does something that, you know, we've already talked about how women are victimized. Boaz tells his servants, if anybody harms this woman. Yeah, and that's what I, I put this down as a story I love as well, because... Boaz is so respectful and honest and honorable. And so it's not the head over heels love story that we think of in the movies, but it is, it is really reverent and respectful. Yes. And he treats her like a human being. He's not seeing her as property. No, he is treating her with love and respect and you know, and, and whether it was romantic or not doesn't matter to me. Yeah. To me, it is just a beautiful story of mutuality. Well, and also, this is one of the things that gets weird about the story because there's a... There are like legalisms that we don't fully understand today. So it seems kind of icky, but at the same time, it was the law back then. And so I know that, uh, so Ruth was following behind the harvesters in the field to pick up whatever they didn't pick up to provide food for her and Naomi. And as you mentioned, Boaz saw her, asked about her. They said she's picking up the extras. And he basically said, you don't have to do that. You don't have to follow behind and pick up what's left. You're welcome to anything in my field. Nobody harm her. Nobody stop her. Eat every day with the servants. Yes. Take home as much as you need for Naomi. Yes. So he did that. And then Naomi was like, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful man Boaz is. Well, and they were related. Distant relations. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because, okay, so one of the things that happened, you talk about women. So, like, if... A brother dies and another brother isn't married. He inherits his his wife and so so on and so forth. Yeah, So Boaz Boaz is a distant relative. Yeah, but he was in the line Mm -hmm. to potentially inherit Ruth Ruth as his wife. So Naomi was so like happy about the way that Boaz was treating Ruth. She said, Ruth, you should present yourself to Boaz and ask 
if you can basically become his wife. Yeah. Lay at his feet, you know, and present yourself. Which means something else, too. Yeah. <laughs> And he was honorable in that too. Yes. And so he said no. He did not sleep with her. Yeah. And he said, "I need to go to the who would it there have been? was one other person that was a closer it was like relative. A council though, but that there he was went one to. other person that was a closer relative. Yeah. And so he went outside the city gates and presented. You know, he didn't say, "I want to marry Ruth." He said, "I want to buy to the one that was the next in line for Ruth." He said, "I want to buy your land," and the guys, or I want to buy the land of Ruth's ex husband. Yeah. And he was like. And that guy was like, no, I'm the next in line. And and Boaz said, oh, okay. But you know, if you buy that, you get Ruth too. And this guy was like, I don't want to. I already have a wife. I don't want, I, another, I don't wife. want another wife. Which, Which Boaz was calculating. That. Yeah. He knew that ahead of time. And then Boaz, and so the man said, you can buy it. So with the field, yeah. he inherits Ruth. So it's not, but it's not it as feels, beautiful, yeah, but it, mm. it, it, it is. It it was the laws of the land, yeah. And he went out of his way to make sure that Ruth was cared for. And so, what we can say is, there was respect, there was dignity, there was kindness. And my guess is that once they were married, because it started with respect and dignity and kindness, I have to believe that love grew between them yeah. over time. You know, when I think of this story, because I tend to put everything into musical theater terms, I always think of Fiddler in the Roof, where there's an arranged marriage between Tevya and his wife, and there's this beautiful song about, Do You Love Me? Because they've never said that to each other. And at one point... She says, you know, we've been married 25 years. For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house. If that's not love, what is? Because they don't really use that language. Yeah. And so, yeah, it becomes this, you know, it's this great um, understanding to us of what this was. Yeah. And love, I think, I do believe love came, but dignity and respect was very beautiful at those times. Mm -hmm. So I think that to your point, there are multiple love stories in here. Mm -hmm. There's a love between Ruth and Boaz and the love between Ruth and Naomi. Um, And that is more, it's like a familial or friendship based love because Ruth could have easily, because the uh, Naomi had other daughter-in-laws. One other daughter-in-law. Okay. And she decided to stay. Right. And Ruth said, no, I'm going with you. Where you go, I go. Which is no um, black mark on the daughter-in-law that stayed because Naomi said, stay, take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, But don't forget, I mean, today we have a plethora of mother-in-law jokes. Yeah. And so it's, it's even an unusual love relationship mm-hmm. for mother-in-law and daughter-in-law to care for each is, other. I would think with the, maybe I'm wrong, but with the even deeper oppression of women back then, women clung together in a different way. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, we don't it have would that. Be your only safe space is other women. We don't have that example with Leah and Rachel, That's but we true. have it um, in other places. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree. All right. I, so one that I want to bring up is David and Jonathan. I figured you would. I know. Okay. So 
David and Jonathan have been up and this is King David again. So let's just go ahead and say he has his flaws. We've already talked about that. And Jonathan is the son of King Saul, mm-hmm. who is the king that's trying to kill David. Yes. And so Jonathan and David, this story is often lifted up as a beautiful example of friendship between new or between two men. Um, I'm not sure about that. Well, I, I don't think it matters how you read it. Yeah. Um, you can read it as romantic love. You can read it as friendship. Yeah. There is no doubt that David and Jonathan had a deep love for each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I've gone back and I've read it over and over and over again. And I know that part of it is my, um, my view of the world, Mm -hmm. but I can't read it and not see romantic love between the two of them. It is poetic the way that they are in relationship with each other. It is far more than a friendship. Well, and I think you, you stated your view of the world. I think there are others that their view of the world would disagree with me. Disagree. And and that's that's beautiful too. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. But Jonathan, it's so complicated because Jonathan's dad is trying to kill David. And so Jonathan is trying as best he can to thwart all those attempts. But they're, they they keep coming back together to, you know, it's like, oh, he's trying to kill you again. Let me, let me give you some forewarning. Let me, let me help you. And they protect each other. And when Jonathan dies, David really mourns. He's really grieving. Mm. He's really grieving that death. He grieves that death um, almost as much as the death of of his son later on, you know, so it's a, it's a deep, a deep grieving, which to me also shows a depth of love. We've all experienced a depth of grieving. Yeah. And I, I just want to read some of their story. So in, um, their story actually spans uh, multiple books, multiple chapters. And so this is one of the few relationships that we, it's not just a glimpse, a moment in time. Like we actually see it unfolding over a series of events. And so this is in both First Samuel and Second Samuel. And I'm in First Samuel 18 right now, which is kind of our introduction of Jonathan and David and their friendship. And um, so it says, as soon as David finished talking to Saul, Uh, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. And in some versions, it says David and Jonathan's souls were knit together. Yeah. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, this is beautiful. And it said, um, Jonathan, I'm skipping a couple of verses and Jonathan and David made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his armor, as well as his sword, his bow and his belt. Uh, And so it's just this lavishing of love and respect and commitment and honor. And I'm, I'm just like, this is maybe one of the most beautiful love stories written in the Bible. And I think sometimes when we talk about love stories, we um, don't, we don't want to talk about 
um, things that are uncomfortable to us, but mm-hmm. this is an absolutely beautiful love story. And they would do anything for each other, anything. And they become and, each other's safe space. And so anytime that David is seeking safety and refuge, either he finds Jonathan or Jonathan finds him. And over and over again, I mean, we have two different times where they're making a covenant together and they're protecting each other. And Jonathan is eluding his father so that David can remain safe and Jonathan ends up dying. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, not, not, I mean, in battle, not yeah, in battle, <laughs> sorry, not killed by his father, not killed but by yeah. his father. But yeah. And it's just, um, it's, it's a, a very special story with whatever lens you choose to read it. Don't, um, don't not read it. Because yeah. it's absolutely beautiful and and special, and we can learn so much from it. Because um, love stories can come in all kinds of ways. I mean, all kinds of ways. We've talked about famil- familial love stories. We've talked about man and woman. We talked. There's all kinds of ways mm-hmm. to talk about love. Yeah. Um, okay. So the the last one I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if you have other ones that you wanted to talk about, but I might have one one more. You might. Okay. I wanted to talk about Mary and Joseph. Yeah, I think Mary and Joseph is a beautiful one. Yeah. And and again, it was an arranged marriage. Right. But here's something that I think is beautiful. Joseph finds out this is the line that tells me there was more than just an arranged marriage. There is, um, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant and it says he wanted to divorce her quietly because they were already in a contract of marriage, even though they weren't actually married yet. And, and he wanted, because guess what? She could have been stoned. Yeah. And so again, it's kind of almost the Boaz story. There's a respect, there's a care um, there's an acceptance. There's a, I'm I don't, by your I don't side. think I want to marry her, but I don't want to hurt her. I either. don't want to hurt her either. Yeah. And then he goes forward because an angel visits him too. Mm-hmm. And he goes forward and he is by her side. Yeah. We don't, we know very little of Joseph's story, yeah. but it is clear to me that he was by her side. Well, and I don't blame Joseph for wanting to divorce her quietly because I feel like in modern times, if you are engaged to someone, become pregnant and that person knows for a fact that is not my child, they might have second thoughts about entering into this marriage. Um, so I get the co- inner conflict well, that and would you come know, that. It it reminds me, I mean, think about today, some of those heartwarming videos you see where someone is asking someone to marry them, but instead of just asking the person they ask their children from a previous marriage to, mm-hmm. because it's, you have to love the whole package deal. Mm-hmm. So Joseph ended up going forward with marrying Mary and he had to love the whole package deal. Well, and that's <laughs> one of the things that I love about both Mary and Joseph, which I think is key to relationships, is a willingness to change, a willingness to 
uh, change your mind because I think that if we get too stuck in the structure of what life is, because Joseph could have easily said, no, this isn't the way things are done. I will be a laughing stock in my community. I'm not doing this because you can say no to God. Mm -hmm. It's not advisable, (laughs) but you can usually something happens when you say, I think we all say no to God all the time more than we care to admit. Yes. Um, but he chose not to, he changed his mind and said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And then it was just both of them constantly making sacrifices for the sake of the other. Um, I imagine they weren't seen highly in the community. No, probably not. Um, And they didn't even necessarily want to move back to her community. Yeah. And they, but they ended up doing that. So yeah, there had to be struggles. So I feel, I just imagine them as a true partnership. Mm -hmm. And even though that wouldn't look the same then as it does today, in my mind with the way that the community would have viewed them, they probably only had each other to lean on and to confide in and to console in. And so I think we're never told how Mary's parents reacted to this. They're not even in the equation. We're only told how her cousin Elizabeth reacts to it. So yeah, it's like, okay, was she shunned from her own family? Um, you know, there's scripture passages about a prophet isn't honored in his own town and, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. So we don't know how Mary was treated. Yeah. There was opposition. But both of them were willing to do what was right despite cultural norms and any judgment that they got from their community. And I think that that shows a strong relationship that they're willing to do that. And we also know there was a strong relationship with Jesus and Mary and that he wants Mary to be, that was one of the things he says on the cross. Jesus says, take care of my mom. Yeah. And so, you know, there's just beautiful. I wish we knew more about Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. He, he, uh, the last time we hear of him is the 12 year old in the temple story. My guess, I mean, I can only imagine that that means he died young or something. Well, we don't know even how old he was. And there's two views on that. Um, We talk about that at Christmas, so we don't need to talk about it now. But the Protestant view is he was a young man. The Catholic view is he was an old man and this was a second marriage mm. um we don't know yeah we don't really have any any i mean it's just kind of like what do you think but we didn't <laughs> even get a sentence of like and then joseph died which we right. got with herod you know right, right. but yeah because that wasn't again like we said already that wasn't the focus of the story yeah so yeah, yeah. so When I was in youth ministry, we used to laugh because we would throw out a question to the youth and the youth would always answer without even thinking Jesus and God, because they just thought, well, that's going to be the answer. And it never was because that wasn't the question we were asking. But in this case, I don't think we can end a story, a podcast, a, a discussion about love stories without talking about Jesus love. And Jesus taught us a different way to love. And I think that's a love story in itself. Jesus's love for us. Jesus telling us, hey, go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. Love, live your life as a love story. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to recognize that even though we've done all these examples of a love story, we're supposed to be a love story in our everyday life on how we 
reach out to others. Well, and I guess that's a good point because I, when you think of a more traditional love story, I can't help but think that the teachings of Jesus have changed romantic love, have changed the way that uh, two people connect with each other. Because whether you are a believer or not, I think that... Um, there has been a ripple effect of love. There's also been a lot of negativity, but I think that um, there's just this ripple effect of what it means to love that has changed culturally over time. And I can't help but think that Jesus is a part of that. We um, we certainly can't hup- uphold Christians as the example of, of doing right <laughs> all yeah. the time. We can't do that. But what we can We're do. more like King David. Yeah, we are more <laughs> like King David. But what we can do is we can say, we have been taught. Yeah. We have been taught and we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we have been taught how we're mm-hmm. supposed to love. Actually doing it is a challenge, but we have seen examples throughout history. There are good examples. Like um, it is, it is a good example that during the Black Plague, you were more likely to survive if there was a Christian community close to you because they weren't afraid of you. Mm-hmm. That's a great, ex- because they weren't afraid to love you and care for you. And, and to do, show up at your house and, to and show bring up. you food and take yeah. care of you. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, equally examples where Christians didn't show up. But mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that. Also, if you were more likely to have a cat, you Oh. <laughs> I didn't because know that statistic. It was rats and mice that That's carried true. the bubonic yeah. plague. And so all <laughs> of these true. women that they had been calling witches were surviving because they yeah, were single cats. women with cats. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> the perks of being a cat, cat lady. Lover. Yeah. So, so, you know, but I do think um, if we love like Jesus and we walk across the street in love and we reach out to someone who doesn't look like us in love and we develop relationships in love that that's its own love story. And that's our challenge and our goal when we talk about love stories. Well, what do you think that we can learn from the love stories of the Bible, even the icky ones? Love isn't about power. Love isn't about getting your own way. Love isn't about self. Mm. And I think you can learn that from both the good examples. Learning what not to do. And the bad examples. Yeah. Um, what about you? What do you think we can learn? Oh, well, I didn't think you'd throw that question back <laughs> at me. Well, I also think we can learn that love is messy. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bow. Even the most beautiful love stories that, you know, the, some, the best romantic comedies mm-hmm. that tie it up in a neat little bow. It's not. I think I don't know if it's as much what we can learn from the Bible, but remembering what we can't learn. So like the messiness that you mentioned, a lot of these Bible stories, you and I were joking about this morning. There's a lot of pieces missing. There's a lot of description. This is not like reading a novel where you're getting the uh, inner 
uh, narrative of the main characters and you understand everything that they're thinking, feeling and doing and that you can feel a part of that story. The majority of the stories in the Bible, it's kind of like beginning, middle, end sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is taking um, a narrative that would be a book yeah. and making it into a 30-minute sitcom. Right. And so I think that what I learn about these love stories is that they help me to really ruminate on scripture to think what's, where is there more to the story? Where can I better understand the culture? And like you said, how marriage works, how the laws work, why this might have been happening. And to insert myself into that story. And I think it is, it takes both. It takes viewing it through a modern lens. And it also takes understanding the context of when and where and why it was written and marrying those together to be able to better understand what these love stories can tell us. And it tells us even more about how radical the love Jesus taught us is. That See, your answers are better than my answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point is like if you're taking the teachings of Jesus and reflecting them, using them as a litmus test over these love stories in the Old Testament and, the, and some in the New Testament, um, we can say, hey, is this true love? It, or was this a power play? Was this manipulation? If it's not passing the test of Jesus, then maybe it's not love. Maybe it's something else. Absolutely. And that's very, and that, guess what? We need to do that in our own lives. Yeah. And, um, and there's so many times, so many times that we have an ulterior motive or we manipulate yeah. or we use our power or we're greedy. We are, we may not go as far as David did. Yeah. And, but we'll use the power that we but have. But we'll use the power that we have. Yeah. And we even say, well, I didn't go as far as David did, so I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> but we do that. I mean, I there are times, and, and that's true in any situation. I mean, I, I've been married 40 years, and I think I have a pretty good marriage. But there have been times I can look back that said, oh, I kind of manipulated that situation yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure... Chris could say the same thing. And so I think that that we're human. Yeah. But we need to learn and strive towards loving like Jesus. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. There you go. So, hey. So love somebody. Start reading. Yeah. Start reading some of those love stories and, and let us know what you think about them. I'm always really curious to hear uh, your opinions because... We're just sitting here spouting our own opinions for an hour every week, you know, and I, I like to hear, you know, dissenting opinions from my own. I think it's interesting and it broadens my mind to think differently. And I want to challenge everybody to, and I think Alyssa already said this, but I want to end with a final challenge to read the Bible with a grown up lens. And <laughs> just and read the Bible with a grown up. <laughs> read, the a Bible. Super, have, read, yeah. read the Bible with a grown up lens and don't ever be afraid to ask questions and ponder and wonder and go, ah, oh, I didn't know that was in there and get with somebody else and talk about it. 
The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.